If you look through chapter 2 of Habakkuk, you will notice there are repeated woes. There's actually five in chapter 2 we read through four today. Somebody once told me in terms of positive language and sort of speaking, trying to speak constructively, you shouldn't use the word but. You should use, where you can, the word and. Because but is negative and it kind of stops a flow. Whereas and is used to continue the flow and it also gives you information that there's more to follow. But clearly there is a place for the word but. We have some interesting words in in the first few verses of chapter 2, just to help us understand the flow and the context a little bit. And we'll just look at a few of these now, one of which will be the word but, which we will come to. But if you look at the verses 1 and 2, you will notice that the word and is used four times. Three times in verse 1 and one time in verse 2. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon a tower and will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So the ands tell you there's more to come plus it does make the sentence and the points flow. I will do this and this and this. And it builds and builds and builds. Then verse 2 opens up with the word and. And the Lord answered me. I will do this, this and this. This is me. I'm before the Lord. I'm looking for the Lord. I'm waiting for the Lord. And the Lord answered me. So we continue and we know how it all links together. Verse 3 opens up with the word for. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. So that tells us that what comes in verse 3, the vision for an appointed time, is linked to what was in verse 2. Write the vision, make it plain. For, the vision is for an appointed time. So it links again the two. Verse 4 opens up with the word, behold. Behold has two meanings. One, to draw our attention. Something important is following. Behold, pay attention. The classic one, the greatest one perhaps, is behold, the Lamb of God. But also, it is a reminder to look and to hold. So look and hold your look because it is important. And we do have a word, but, in chapter 2, verse 4, which is important to look at. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but... The just shall live by faith. It's not designed to flow. It doesn't flow. His soul, which is lifted, which is lifted up, is not upright or is not straight. He is not right before God. But stops us in our tracks, changes direction, and tells us the just shall live by faith. So there is a contrast. So it is important to note the importance of some of these words. Last time when we visited this chapter, a couple of weeks ago, we focused on those words, the just shall live by faith. But if you've read chapter 2 and and chapter 1 also, you will note that that phrase, that, that point, 
the just, excuse me, the just shall live by faith stands out on its own because it is a constructive, it is a positive, it is a blessing. Whereas the rest of the chapter is warning, warning and warning. As I mentioned, chapter two has five woes. We're going to look at four of them today. The fifth one relates to idolatry. Therefore, it deserves special treatment all on its own. So we will, God willing, come back to that uh, next time. But our thoughts today will be concerned with the four woes um, that we have in chapter two, or the first four woes of chapter two. So we'll briefly look at the meaning or understanding of woe. Then we will look at the four woes. And then to bring it all together, we will consider the greatest woe. So what do we mean when we say woe? Well, I, I categorise it firstly as being similar in, in sort of um, outlay to the word behold. Because when we see behold, we know we should be ready to pay attention. With behold, it can either be a great blessing or a great um, warning. Whereas with woes, it is always bad and it is always a warning. So whenever we see a woe, we know that it is a warning. I've got a, a helpful quote here from John MacArthur in terms of woe. Um, a little bit wordy to start with. Um, I might explain some of the words uh, at the outset, but uh, I'll, I'll read it all first and then maybe jump back and explain a little bit. Woe is not so much a word in the ordinary sense of an onomatopoeic interjection, suggesting an ut- a guttural outcry of anger, pain or both. I'll, I'll perhaps explain that a little bit before we go further. Onomatopoeic uh, means it's it, a word that sounds like the sound it makes. So woe, when he's saying here, is not only a word, but that's the very sound it makes. Another good example of that is bang. You think of bang, the word sounds like the noise. That's what onomatopoeic means. So more than it being just a word, it's a, a cry, as it were, suggesting a guttural outcry of anger, pain, or both. So take that point, anger and pain, or both, as a starting point for woe. In the Old Testament, this is still MacArthur now, it is used to express grief, despair, sorrow, dissatisfaction, pain, and fear of losing one's life. So we've got a whole list there of um, what woe means and perhaps build them all together to get a sense of, of what it means. In the New Testament, it is used to speak of sorrow and judgment. And I think also here in chapter two, it's speaking of sorrow and judgment. But Jesus uses woe or used woe against the scribes and the Pharisees, not as an exclamation but as a declaration, a divine pronouncement of judgment from God. He was not wishing for the damnation of those false leaders, but certifying it. When God utters woe, 
against evil men, he sets divine judgment in motion. So, taking some of those points or, or, or some of those descriptions of woe, I think we get a sense of what is meant. A cry of anger or pain to express grief, despair, sorrow, dissatisfaction, fear of losing one's life, sorrow, judgment. It's a warning, a warning. It's not a pleasant word, and, and as as uh, was suggested there by MacArthur, it's it's a sort of a a guttural cry, more than just the word. It, what you don't just say, "Woe unto you," and, and we, we we get into we get guilty, don't we? We are guilty of just reading the words in in a monotone way. We try and put our inflections and our in, uh, emphasis and emotions into these things, but. We don't fully get it, do we? And this is one of those words that is perhaps best a cry. Woe unto you. Warning. Perhaps a word that it's one of those perhaps words that cannot be uttered properly. So it's just more of a sound. A woe. We looked, didn't we, at chapter 11 in Luke's gospel. Woe unto you, scribes. Pharisees, hypocrites, lawyers, for all of the things that they were doing, these individuals and these groups were burdening people with burdens that they couldn't bear and didn't need to bear. They were heaping on them traditions and laws and regulations and rules, and these things did not need to be observed. They weren't in God's word and they weren't what Christ was preaching. They had made their own way of salvation. Woe unto you for what you are doing. Warning upon you, unless you desist, there will be judgment. If you do still have um, a note in Luke chapter 11, if you can turn back over a page or maybe two to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and we will read verses uh, 10 to 15. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, but into whatever city you enter and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same and say, even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works that have been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ash, but it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted to heaven, shalt be thrust down to hell." I'm even guilty there as I was reading that of just reading the words woe in the same tone more or less as as the rest of the words. The scribes, the Pharisees, the lawyers, hypocrites had that warning cast against them. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, 
towns, cities had those same warning cast against them. But also a couple of other interesting ones to think about. Paul himself speaking said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. So Paul was a preacher of the gospel and this warning and judgment he felt was upon him if he preached not the gospel. And we look at Isaiah in chapter 6 when he sees that great vision of the Lord before him and the Lord says, shows himself to him and we see the, 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 the seraphic choir round about him. And Isaiah's response is, woe is me, for I am undone. When he sees the glory of God, he sees his own wretchedness before God and he falls down. He is aware of his sinfulness. But this is the prophet, the word, speaking the words of the Lord. Woe unto you. These woes often come in clusters, as we've seen. That re-emphasizes the point, emphasizes and re-emphasizes and re-emphasizes, driving the point home. Isaiah and Jeremiah repeatedly warned with this phrase. The other prophets, or many of the other prophets, use it as well, and it's repeated, repeated, repeated. Here in this chapter, it is addressed to primarily to the Babylonians, um, Judgment upon the Chaldeans, my Bible has a little header at the top there. This was how, uh, this was what um, Habakkuk was concerned about, that his nation was being mistreated and or, or behaving badly and the Lord was going to judge them with this nation of Babylon. Why are you going to use a more sinful nation to judge my nation? When really the question should have been, why aren't we or will, really, and then it later comes that he does acknowledge that he should have been judged, his nation should have been judged. So primarily it's for Babylon, but it is also for Judah. Habakkuk's cry in chapter 1, verse 3, Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked and judgment doth never go forth. That's his own nation. It's his sinful nation. So these things will primarily be targeted at Babylon, but is it also applicable to Judah, to, to Israel? It is also applicable to all who oppress other people, other nations, and all individuals who are oppressive. Take the woe, the warning. This is a warning from God. In this chapter, we have four warnings, or five, and we're going to look at the first four today. There's a lot, it's a lot contained in these verses, so we're just going to overview and then if you are so inclined, you can fill in the detail yourselves when you uh, go home. But the first woe, we read in verse 6, woe to him that increaseth that which is not his. Taking things that don't belong. Here, Babylon, if we use Babylon as the example, they were invading and taking nations. They were coming to take Israel, Judah, and uh, take ultimately Jerusalem. Woe to him that increases that which is not his. And then we have an interesting question. How long? 
How long will this be allowed to happen? How long will it be before it happens? How long will these people prosper? But we have the answer to that, don't we, in, in, earlier in the chapter. Wait, it will, it will come. Surely it will come and it will not tarry. It might come in your time, but it will come. And to him that ladeth himself with thick clay. Thick clay, valueless things, things of no import, no value. Shall they not rise up suddenly? That shall bite thee and awaken, that shall vex thee and thou shalt be for booties unto them. Because thou hast spoiled many nations, all the remnant of the people shall spoil thee. What you have done, you've taken other nations, you've stolen and plundered and gathered for yourself. It's worthless. It is utterly worthless, thick clay. But in due time, you will be raided. You will be um, taken. So the warning is there. The warning to those who take that which is not theirs, who increase that which does not belong to them. The second warning, verse 9 to 11. Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house. Again, we have a repetition and 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 a reinforcement there. Woe to him that covets an evil covetousness as if there was any other kind of covetousness. There's not a good covetousness, really. You know, you can um, maybe spin that a little bit. But the point being that we have covetous, evil, covetousness. So that's a three times warning. That he may set his nest on high. The point there being building their nest on high. They are getting themselves set. They are building up to a point where they are fortifying, building up and getting themselves into a place where they feel that they are not able to be penetrated. They are building themselves up to a point where they're um, relying upon themselves, their own strength. Their nest is built on high, a fortified city. And even if we take Nebuchadnezzar as an example from Babylon, the the king that um, oversaw the the invasion, do you remember those words that he spoke when he pursued or or perused rather his uh, kingdom and looked around? Is not this great Babylon that I have built? And then what happened to him? That same hour, his reason was taken from him. Is not this great Babylon that I have built? We carry on to, I think it's verse 11. For the stone shall cry out of the wall and the beam out of the timber shall answer it. So even the very buildings in a sense are we are being told here will cry out against these people who fortify themselves and trust in their own strength and trust in their own um, power. The very foundations of what you built will cry out against you. You're trusting in the wrong things. Now, while I was reading around this, um, somebody made the point that Jesus, when he was being praised as he entered the city, um, the religious leaders told him to 
tell his disciples to be quiet. And he said, if they are quiet, the very stones will praise me. Here we have the stones crying out against Babylon and against those who trust in themselves and fortify themselves in their own strength. Woe to him that covets an evil covetousness. Verses 12 to 14 give us our third woe. Woe to him that buildeth a town with blood and establish a city by iniquity. Behold, is it not of the Lord of hosts that the people shall labour the very fire and the people shall weary themselves for very vanity? This continues the same theme, doesn't it? We have the building, the fortifying of oneself. And here, if you build a town with blood, that you've built this town through bloodshed, through capture and mistreatment and exploitation. What it's also been described as is working to vanity, um, which we read there. Um, Weary themselves in verse 13, weary themselves for very vanity, emptiness. There is no end to be achieved. They will build and they will build. What they are building is empty, pointless, and it will not end. And the contrast there immediately follows. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The glory of the Lord is is ever present, but the earth will be filled with knowledge of the glory of the Lord. We will know, the people will know that the Lord is glorious. How? Because he will wipe away destroy these powerful nations. The fourth woe, verses 15 to 17. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbour drink and putteth thy bottle to him and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Woe unto him that causes his neighbour to sin. They are shamed, those who sin are shamed, but the greatest greatest sin is on those who cause them to sin. The greater shame is on those who cause them to sin. So you can be causing Babylon, the others, to sin, but the greater shame is upon you. Now, this term drunkenness that is used here may well be literal, um, and you can think of Belshazzar and how he had this great feast and they were drinking from the, the vessels that they had taken from the temple. But the drunkenness can also be used to describe oppression and an oppressive nation. So we can have both. And you can see the both really through um, Belshazzar, if you read that in the, the prophecy of Daniel. And then that very night, after the interpretation of the dream was given to Belshazzar, The kingdom fell. The Medes and the Persians came in and took. Your cup of sin is contrasted there with the cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee. Verse 16, thou art filled with shame for glory. Drink thou also and let thy foreskin be uncovered. The cup of the Lord's right hand shall be turned unto thee and shameful spewing shall be on thy glory. When they use nakedness there, 
it's also just used to exposing the fullness of the sins. All of the sins are exposed and on show. And this is part of their downfall. The earth and the world will see who they are. And this is again applicable beyond Babylon to all who are oppressive and who lead others to sin. Some contrasts to be noted in those uh, four. We saw the first one, those who built up and stole, built their empire through stealing. They will have their goods stolen from them. Those who build corruptly, the very stones will cry out against them. Those who try to build their towns with blood, it's been described as an emptiness and a vanity. They will see or will be overtaken by the fullness of God. So you see the contrast. Those who steal will have their things stolen. The building, those you try and build, but the buildings will cry out against you. The emptiness of what you are doing will be filled with the fullness of God. You try and shame other people. The greater shame will be put to you. Now, there are lots of other examples throughout Scripture of this same principle of what you are doing will be done unto you. And we had one recently, didn't we, in our um, morning services when we were going through Esther, how Haman built the gallows for Mordecai. But it was Haman who was hung on his own gallows. You who build the gallows will be hanged upon them yourself. And then we can take this really to the fulfilment of, of scripture, can't we? Christ was crucified. You meant it for evil, but it was God's plan. You wanted rid of Christ, but you finished his work, or he finished his work, and this was a means to that completion. He had to die a bloody death, and this was the means of having it accomplished. So through their hatred of Jesus and his message, they fulfilled the work that had to be done. There are some themes here through these uh, four um, warnings. Emptiness and vanity of everything that is outside of God. Shame in everything that is outside of God. And then God will judge in his time. The woes are repeated. They are of a theme. They build and they build, but it should give us a note that this is a serious warning. Woe, warning, do not stray from God. This then takes us and makes us consider the greatest woe. It's not the one that comes uh, later in the chapter that we will deal with separately. The greatest woe is woe unto you if you believe not the gospel. These are genuine, serious warnings of judgment to come unless you repent of your ways. And the greatest warning of all is if you believe not the gospel and do not repent of your sins. Woe unto you if you believe not the gospel. So when we look at these warnings for what the uh, Babylonians had done, what Judah had also done to a lesser degree, what other nations have done and will continue to do, what individuals have done and will, will continue to do. Every time we see a warning, a woe, 
we should look beyond that and see the warning to those who do not believe on Jesus Christ. Why is it the greatest woe? Because it is the greatest penalty, the greatest punishment. There is no turning back if you do not believe in Jesus Christ. There is no other way to get to heaven other than to believe that Jesus Christ alone came into this world to die for your sins. Here is the warning. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, then you will be going to a lost eternity. And we read in uh, Mark's Gospel, don't we, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Can you imagine? Can you even try and imagine the torment of that? We don't grasp these things properly, do we? We can't fully understand. We don't have uh, the, the understanding, we just can't. But if we don't trust in Jesus Christ, not only do we not get the blessings of heaven and eternal glory to be with him, but we have an eternity without him, an eternity of darkness, an eternity of punishment, an eternity of separation from God and just torment after torment. Warning. There is no other way. We must believe that Jesus Christ is the way of salvation. So when we look at these verses, take the warning, take heed. It is God's judgment and God is right to judge. We cannot criticize him for that. He is right to judge and he will judge the world. How is it with you today? How do you stand before God? If God came today, if the Lord returned today, if Jesus returned today, how would it be with you? Would you go to be with him in glory or would you face this punishment? Now is the appointed time. Take heed to the warnings that were given through the scriptures to the to the Pharisees, the scribes, Don't burden people with these false burdens that they don't need to bear. The only burden we need is Jesus Christ and his burden is easy. And he takes away our sin. Trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your saviour. Take heed of the warnings and believe on Jesus Christ.